This is Chapter Six of Following the Equator. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Following the Equator by Mark Twain, Chapter Six: Missionaries Obstruct Business, The Sugar Planter and the Kanaka, The Planter's View, Civilizing the Kanaka, The Missionary's View, The Result, Repentant Kanakas, Wrinkles, The Death Rate in Queensland. He was as shy as a newspaper is when referring to its own merits. Puddenhead Wilson's New Calendar. Captain Wan is crystal clear on one point. He does not approve of missionaries. They obstruct his business. They make recruiting, as he calls it, slave-catching, as they call it in their frank way, a trouble when it ought to be just a picnic and a pleasure excursion. The missionaries have their opinion about the manner in which the labor traffic is conducted, and about the recruiters' evasions of the law of the traffic, and about the traffic itself, and it is distinctly uncomplimentary to the traffic, and to everything connected with it, including the law for its regulation. Captain Wan's book is of very recent date. I have by me a pamphlet of still later date, hot from the press, in fact, by Rev. William Gray, a missionary, and the book and the pamphlet taken together make exceedingly interesting reading, to my mind. Interesting and easy to understand, except in one detail, which I will mention presently. It is easy to understand why the Queensland sugar planter should want the Kanaka recruit. He is cheap, very cheap, in fact. These are the figures paid by the planter. Twenty pounds to the recruiter for getting the Kanaka, or catching him, as the missionary phrase goes, three pounds to the Queensland government for superintending the importation, five pounds deposited with the government for the Kanaka's passage home when his three years are up, in case he shall live that long, about twenty-five pounds to the Kanaka himself for three years' wages and clothing, total payment for the use of a man three years, fifty-three pounds or including diet, sixty pounds, altogether a hundred dollars a year. One can understand why the recruiter is fond of the business. The recruit costs him a few cheap presents given to the recruit's relatives, not to the recruit himself, and the recruit is worth twenty pounds to the recruiter when delivered in Queensland. All this is clear enough, but the thing that is not clear is what there is about it all to persuade the recruit. He is young and brisk. Life at home in his beautiful island is one lazy, long holiday to him, or if he wants to work, he can turn out a couple of bags of copra per week and sell it for four or five shillings a bag. In Queensland he must get up at dawn and work from eight to twelve hours a day in the cane fields, in a much hotter climate than he is used to, and get less than four shillings a week for it. I cannot understand his willingness to go to Queensland. It is a deep puzzle to me. Here is the explanation from the planter's point of view. At least I gather from the missionary's pamphlet that it is the planter's. When he comes from his home, he is a savage, pure and simple. He feels no shame at his nakedness and want of adornment. When he returns home, he does so well-dressed, sporting a Waterbury watch, collars, cuffs, boots, and jewelry. He takes with him one or more boxes— box is English for trunk, well filled with clothing, a musical instrument or two, and perfumery and other articles of luxury he has learned to appreciate. For just one moment, 
we have a seeming flash of comprehension of the kanaka's reason for exiling himself he goes away to acquire civilization yes he was naked and not ashamed now he is clothed and knows how to be ashamed he was unenlightened now he has a waterbury watch he was unrefined now he has jewelry and something to make him smell good he was a nobody a provincial now he has been to far countries and can show off it all looks plausible for a moment then the missionary takes hold of this explanation and pulls it to pieces and dances on it and damages it beyond recognition admitting that the foregoing description is the average one the average sequel is this the cuffs and collars if used at all are carried off by youngsters who fasten them round the leg just below the knee as ornaments the waterbury broken and dirty finds its way to the trader who gives a trifle for it or the inside is taken out the wheels strung on a thread and hung around the neck knives axes calico and handkerchiefs are divided among friends and there is hardly one of these apiece the boxes the keys often lost on the road home can be bought for two shillings sixpence they are to be seen rotting outside in almost any shore village on tana i speak of what i have seen a returned kanaka has been furiously angry with me because i would not buy his trousers which he declared were just my fit he sold them afterwards to one of my aniwan teachers for ninepence worth of tobacco a pair of trousers that probably cost him eight shillings or ten shillings in queensland a coat or shirt is handy for cold weather the white handkerchiefs the senate perfumery the umbrella and perhaps the hat are kept the boots have to take their chance if they do not happen to fit the copra trader senet on the hair streaks of paint on the face a dirty white handkerchief round the neck strips of turtle shell in the ears a belt a sheath and knife and an umbrella constitute the rig of returned kanaka at home the day after landing a hat an umbrella a belt a neckerchief otherwise stark naked all in a day the hard-earned civilization has melted away to this and even these perishable things must presently go indeed there is but a single detail of his civilization that can be depended on to stay by him according to the missionary he has learned to swear this is art and art is long as the poet says in all countries the laws throw light upon the past the queensland law for the regulation of the labor traffic is a confession it is a confession that the evils charged by the missionaries upon the traffic had existed in the past and that they still existed when the law was made the missionaries make a further charge that the law is evaded by the recruiters and that the government agent sometimes helps them to do it regulation thirty one reveals two things that sometimes a young fool of a recruit gets his senses back after being persuaded to sign away his liberty for three years and dearly wants to get out of the engagement and stay at home with his own people and that threats intimidation and force are used to keep him on board the recruiting ship and to hold him to his contract regulation thirty one forbids these coercions the law requires that he shall be allowed to go free and another clause of it requires the recruiter to set him ashore per boat because of the prevalence of sharks testimony from rev mr gray there are wrinkles for taking the penitent kanaka 
my first experience of the traffic was a case of this kind in eighteen eighty four a vessel anchored just out of sight of our station word was brought to me that some boys were stolen and the relatives wished me to go and get them back the facts were as i found that six boys had recruited had rushed into the boat the government agent informed me they had all signed and said the government agent on board they shall remain i was assured that the six boys were of age and willing to go yet on getting ready to leave the ship i found four of the lads ready to come ashore in the boat this i forbade one of them jumped into the water and persisted in coming ashore in my boat when appealed to the government agent suggested that we go and leave him to be picked up by the ship's boat a quarter mile distant at the time the law and the missionaries feel for the repentant recruit and properly one may be permitted to think for he is only a youth and ignorant and persuadable to his hurt but sympathy for him is not kept in stock by the recruiter rev mr gray says a captain many years in the traffic explained to me how a penitent could be taken when a boy jumps overboard we just take a boat and pull ahead of him then lie between him and the shore if he has not tired himself swimming and passes the boat keep on heading him in this way the dodge rarely fails the boy generally tires of swimming gets into the boat of his own accord and goes quietly on board yes exhaustion is likely to make a boy quiet if the distressed boy had been the speaker's son and the captor's savages the speaker would have been surprised to see how differently the thing looked from the new point of view however it is not our custom to put ourselves in the other person's place somehow there is something pathetic about that disappointed young savage's resignation i must explain here that in the traffic dialect boy does not always mean boy it means a youth above sixteen years of age that is by queensland law the age of consent though it is held that recruiters allow themselves some latitude in guessing at ages captain wan of the free spirit chafes under the annoyance of cast-iron regulations they and the missionaries have poisoned his life he grieves for the good old days vanished to come no more see him weep hear him cuss between the lines for a long time we were allowed to apprehend and detain all deserters who had signed the agreement on board ship but the cast-iron regulations of the act of eighteen eighty four put a stop to that allowing the kanaka to sign the agreement for three years service travel about in the ship in receipt of the regular rations cadge all he could and leave when he thought fit so long as he did not extend his pleasure trip to queensland rev mr gray calls this same restrictive cast-iron law a farce there is as much cruelty and injustice done to natives by acts that are legal as by deeds unlawful the regulations that exist are unjust and inadequate unjust and inadequate they must ever be he furnishes his reasons for his position but they are too long for reproduction here however if the most a kanaka advantages himself by a three years course in civilization in queensland is a necklace and an umbrella and a showy imperfection in the art of swearing it must be that all the profit of the traffic goes to the white man 
this could be twisted into a plausible argument that the traffic ought to be squarely abolished. However, there is reason for hope that that can be left alone to achieve itself. It is claimed that the traffic will depopulate its sources of supply within the next twenty or thirty years. Queensland is a very healthy place for white people, death rate twelve in one thousand of the population, but the Kanaka death rate is away above that. The vital statistics for 1893 place it at 52, for 1894, McKay District, 68. The first six months of the Kanaka's exile are peculiarly perilous for him because of the rigors of the new climate. The death rate among the new men has reached as high as 180 in the 1,000. In the Kanaka's native home his death rate is 12 in time of peace and 15 in time of war. Thus exiled to Queensland, with the opportunity to acquire civilization, an umbrella, and a pretty poor quality of profanity, is twelve times as deadly for him as war. Common Christian charity, common humanity, does seem to require not only that these people be returned to their homes, but that war, pestilence, and famine be introduced among them for their preservation. Concerning these Pacific Isles and their peoples, an eloquent prophet spoke long years ago, five and fifty years ago. In fact, he spoke a little too early. Prophecy is a good line of business, but it is full of risks. This prophet was the Right Reverend M. Russell, LLD, DCL, of Edinburgh. Is the tide of civilization to roll only to the foot of the Rocky Mountains? and is the sun of knowledge to set at last in the waves of the pacific no the mighty day of four thousand years is drawing to its close the sun of humanity has performed its destined course but long ere its setting rays are extinguished in the west its ascending beams have glittered on the isles of the eastern seas and now we see the race of japhet setting forth to people the isles and the seeds of another europe and a second england sown in the regions of the sun but mark the words of the prophecy he shall dwell in the tents of shem and canaan shall be his servant it is not said canaan shall be his slave to the anglo-saxon race is given the sceptre of the globe but there is not given either the lash of the slave-driver or the rack of the executioner. The East will not be stained with the same atrocities as the West. The frightful gangrene of an enthralled race is not to mar the destinies of the family of Japhet in the Oriental world, humanizing, not destroying as they advance, uniting with, not enslaving the inhabitants with whom they dwell the british race may etc etc and he closes his vision with an invocation from thompson come bright improvement on the car of time and rule the spacious world from clime to clime very well bright improvement has arrived you see with her civilization and her waterbury and her umbrella and her third-quality profanity, and her humanizing, not destroying machinery, and her hundred and eighty death-rate, and everything is going along just as handsome. But the prophet that speaks last has an advantage over the pioneer in the business. Reverend Mr. Gray says, 
what i am concerned about is that we as a christian nation should wipe out these races to enrich ourselves and he closes his pamphlet with a grim indictment which is as eloquent in its flowerless straightforward english as is the hand-painted rhapsody of the early prophet my indictment of the queensland kanaka labor traffic is this one it generally demoralizes and always impoverishes the kanaka deprives him of his citizenship and depopulates the islands fitted to his home two it is felt to lower the dignity of the white agricultural laborer in queensland and beyond a doubt it lowers his wages there three the whole system is fraught with danger to australia and the islands on the score of health four on social and political grounds the continuance of the queensland kanaka labor traffic must be a barrier to the true federation of the australian colonies five the regulations under which the traffic exists in queensland are inadequate to prevent abuses and in the nature of things they must remain so six the whole system is contrary to the spirit and doctrine of the gospel of jesus christ the gospel requires us to help the weak but the kanaka is fleeced and trodden down seven the bedrock of this traffic is that the life and liberty of a black man are of less value than those of a white man and a traffic that has grown out of slave-hunting will certainly remain to the end not unlike its origin end of chapter six